Hi, everyone. This is Matt Price, one of the hosts for the longest-running Dynasty-focused podcast on the planet, the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you an episode packed with relevant and actionable Dynasty information that you can use to help win your league. When I'm in the host chair, we might even play a game or two. We are always open to topic suggestions, so if there's something you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name's Peter Howard, at P.A. Howdy on Twitter, right? Yeah, on Twitter. I'm at P.A. Howdy on Twitter. Uh, This is a member of the DLF family of podcasts. Last night, I was desperately trying to produce a video on my rookie pre-draft board. For those on Patreon, you've been... been The link's been available for a while, but um, I don't know how many people looked at it. But... Um, I'm locking it in for the draft this weekend, and so I thought I'd talk over my final ranks a little bit and go through the first two rounds and talk a little bit about each player. Turned out to be way too long. I couldn't actually upload it as a video, so I made another one, which is now up there um, and available, which is a little shorter, just talking about my first round. But the audio from my first one, I I thought it was actually pretty good. I thought it was interesting to talk through each player even changed my mind on a player as I was talking through one last time, you know. And anyway, I thought I'd release it as a Dynasty Crossroads episode as well, so that you have, like, audio to listen to um, about what I think about rookies before we get to the draft. Um, the draft's going to change everything, but I found it really useful to th- to know what I thought about players before the draft happens. Because when you start to look back in hindsight, you know, you, you try to think positively. Oh, I didn't really like that player that much anyway, so it's fine. But if you have pre-draft rank, it's really hard to get out of it, and it's helped me improve my process. I think, I hope, maybe. Anyway, see what you think. Um, hope you're having a great day. Hope you're happy, healthy, safe, with really clean hands, and I'll talk to you again very soon, this week. No idea what I plan to do around the draft, but there's going to be something, uh, and I'm going to talk to you again this week. Um, on the crossroads here as well. So thanks very much, and I will see you hopefully very, very soon. Thanks. Bye. Hey, welcome back to The Grind. It's draft week. We have the draft this, uh, this weekend, right? So it's time to release my rookie board um, and finalize my pre-draft rookie pre-draft board and also my pre-draft ranks i'm releasing those the link is in the comments i've tweeted it out i've posted it on patreon it's no longer patreon only it's out there i lock in my pre-draft stuff and specifically the last two years i've been doing a pre and a post-draft board and rankings um it's not just for extra content it's actually um i've learned a lot by looking at um what i thought about players before and after the draft, how it adjusted, what worked, what didn't. And so I'm really trying to lock those in. And it, look, they're different things. What we think, how good we think a prospect is, how good a prospect actually is in the NFL, and how good we thought they can be. They're, they're actually three separate entities in our minds, and sometimes it's hard to separate them out. It's hard not to look back and think, well, I thought Corey Davis was okay, until I look back and find I had him 1.01 pre-draft. And like, okay, I need to make some adjustments. Um, it, it's okay to think, well, I like Jalen Samuels um, before that rookie draft. I know he's someone that's fallen off now, 
but like he had a lot of dynasty value and a lot of utility and he probably still will to some extent um next year is in 2020 but like when i look back at my pre-draft board and find out that even in my post-draft board i had Kalen balage over him because i appreciated that three down role that i've talked about so much with running backs where production's a little less useful you look for players who have the type of role where if they're good enough and they get an opportunity but then it turns out that if you and you can I, i've learned how to see that a little bit better now with running backs but it wasn't there with Kalen ballard so valuing someone like jalen samuels who had an elite aspect to his game over someone with a good ish three down role production like that's just something i've learned to adjust so pre and post draft two I think are important things to note and so that you can go back and look at um, and improve uh, pro- your, your own bias, your own uh, mistakes. And so I've been locking them in for a while now um, and it's time to do the pre-draft stuff. Like it's time to stop twiddling with these ranks because I keep, I keep adjusting it, but I've really got to finish it up. And so I thought I would do this and uh, make it official i guess um you know if you if you have people watching you it's a lot harder to pick your nose right so um i i'm publicly standing in front of you with my hands in my pockets not not picking my nose and um, by posting this stuff out um let me know what you think of it in the comments uh a review a, a tweet telling me exactly how wrong i am i'd appreciate it um but let's go let's let's go take a look so what we have here is both my pre-draft build and my pre-draft ranks from a pre-draft. Now, I have learned that I do have to incorporate some level of expectation of draft capital in there, and we'll talk about that as I go through. I'm really just going to talk about the first two rounds here, prospect by prospect. Um, but uh, I, I included my ranks as well, so you can see how they rank by position. Um, now, my rookie board is really what I'm concentrating on the most. It's not just where I sketch out how I value these players, but it's also a rough strategy guide for myself on how I think I want to draft this class. Um, on the Dynasty Crossroads, I've been talking endlessly and asking people about what kind of class do you think this is? Is it a running back class? Is it a wide receiver class? Do we reach on quarterbacks a little more because because of their value? So my pre-draft board, more than anything else, because I've tried to think of it as a if I had every pick in the draft, but that doesn't make sense. There's no pressure there because if I have every pick in the draft, I would get all the players. So like, and there's no pressure to reach or make sure I don't miss or to oh, to value someone for their ceiling or anything like that. It's not really how I will draft because I'm not doing any drafts before the NFL draft. I'm not in my league's draft before then. So instead it's me sketching out what i think of this class pre-draft and how i would draft it if that's the way it works out if that's the way it looks based on landing spot and draft capital right that that changes everything but here it is here's my pre-draft board this is me sketching out a rough strategy for i think how i want to attack this draft class now the rankings aren't perfect um but it does reflect my positional ranks um and like I say, the, the draft's going to change everything, but this is roughly where I'm at pre-draft, and I can't change it anymore. You've got to stop me. So l- let's go through it. Uh, round one, pick 101. I think, along with everyone else in the world, and I do these based on one quarterback leagues, just because all I do with two quarterback leagues is taste the quarterbacks first. It's not a real hard exercise for me to push them up the top, except for maybe one running back. 
So let's think one quarterback. It's actually harder to think how they would fit in, uh, for me at least, in that type of league. So 101, it's Jonathan Taylor. Um, not a surprise to anyone, I don't think. Uh, I think we're very bored um, about uh, hearing about how great Jonathan Taylor is. And there is some noise that the NFL might not be as high on Jonathan Taylor as we necessarily are. But it's pre-draft, right? All I can tell you is what I know right now and what I think of the players. So Jonathan Taylor, just to put some things in perspective. Now, my running back model, I think, is actually overfitted uh, in an attempt to find some utility in data for running back production. But it actually grades them over uh, over seven different stats, which I'm not going to bore you with, but you can find them in, the, in my database obviously which is pinned to my twitter timeline but one of the stats i want to, that isn't in there that i'm really going to use for a reference for how good or bad a prospect may be is actually average points per game points per game in terms of fantasy points in college um is a stat i started to look at in order to try and find some positivity for uh, for henry for henry ruggs actually that's where most of his good stuff shows up in relation to its class his relation to this class a little bit better because he was scoring so many touchdowns and doing so many big plays that other stats don't really show the difference between his production and other players whereas points per game production really did I don't think it's a particularly strong stat for wide receiver which goes to the case for Henry Ruggs but for running back I just happened to have it in the database because I was doing this for Henry Ruggs but for running back, it actually turns out to be a, a pretty good stat. For some context, um, the average points per game score of running backs correlates to their average points per game scoring of the first three NFL seasons by about 21.3%. That's an R-squared value, and that's a rough one. It's not a great sample. It's just testing the whole database, basically. Now, for context, draft round, draft capital itself, which is the most single predictive thing we have pretty pretty much for everything, and that correlates to points per game over the first three years, about 29 to 30%. So 21% is really high. In fact, it's the single highest score for any of the stats I've tested in the same broad, way too broad sample. So points per game is actually a really interesting look at how good of a prospect a running back is. Now, it's not you being used in my model, but it's a lot simpler than running through seven different stats for every prospect I want to talk about. So for some context, in Saquon Barkley's draft class, two running backs had 20 points per game on average over their college career. Two. And that was a really good class, right? Saquon Barkley was in it. In this class, three running backs have 20 points per game over uh, or, or more um, on average throughout their NFL career. That's really high. Um, that's a really high number looking through different draft classes. And again, Jonathan Taylor is at the head of this class. And while this stat isn't used in my pre-draft model to rank that, it does show up in points per game as well. He got 25 points per game on average throughout his NFL career, throughout his college career, sorry. That's a really high number. For reference, again, just to go to the, um, the running back prospect, right? Saquon Barkley got... 23 points per game and that's still a really high score on for for running backs sorry that finished in the top 12 in the NFL their average points per game score over the course of their college career was 16 
So being over 20 is highly significant. Being 25 points per game on average for your college career is really impressive. Now, yes, he got a lot of workload. Yes, the dra- NFL doesn't sound like they like him near as much as we do. But there's n- this prospect profile compares well to Ezekiel Elliott. It compares well to Saquon Barkley. He is not Saquon Barkley. Um, he's much more Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, part of the reason for that is that he got 94% of his entire yard throughout his college career, on average, were from the rushing game. Now, in his last year, he did have a much larger uh, receiving role, so it's nice that co- uh, the NFL coaches have been able to see that and may, may plan to implement it in the NFL. But if we're going to compare him to past prospects, top 12 players before they enter the NFL tend to average about 85% of their yards from uh, the rushing game. So, you know, 15% comes from the receiving game on average for players that hit a top 12 season. I don't think that's a big thing on Taylor because of how productive he was uh, in college outside of that. And in the last year, he did have significant receiving role. But it's worth noting. Um, and draft capital or just for everything else if the NFL doesn't quite like him as well. But if the NFL lets him fall, I don't think we should let him fall too much. Uh, the the I, I can't say it any clearer. The, the profile just looks really, really good. Not a generational challenge, if we still like to use that word, but still highly impressive. At 102, Cam Akers, recent addition, one of the last tweaks I've recently made, and one of the reasons I have to remake this thing because I keep changing it. The last one I made was putting Cam Akers at two over DeAndre Swift. I know I don't like it either, but hear me out. The more I look at their two profiles, the more I realize I was taking other people's opinions to put Swift ahead of Akers. Now, I don't mind doing that, but if I'm going to be honest, if I'm putting out something that says this is what I think, this is what I found, the things I look at prefer Cam Akers. Um, Speaking of the the percentage of his yards that come from the receiving game, 85% of his total yards came from the rushing game for Cam Akers. That's exactly average for top 12 players. Speaking of points per game, Cam Akers scored 17 points per game on average through his college career. Remember, the average for top 12 players was 16. So he's right there. In fact, he's slightly above the average for top 12 players. He's not one of those ones over 20, but where he had that multifaceted role, he was fairly efficient on those touches he's scoring about 3.4 um yards per team attempt um over the course of his career both in his best and his last season so i assume they were both the same thing which normally for a wide receiver is a problem for running back it's really not that's normally when they get their biggest role is in their final year so he looks decently efficient not not greatly efficient i would say his efficiency is where he struggles the most but his points per game production is fantastic. His usage is amazing. And again, even the people that have told me, and I believe them because of the profile I'm about to talk about with DeAndre Swift, um, the same people think that Cam Akers is dynamic in the receiving game and a dynamic running back. There's nothing that I don't like, and his numbers are frankly higher. His total dominator rating in his best season, 38%. The average top 12 wide receivers, 31%. The, his average dom- total dominator rating, that's incorporating the rushing and the receiving game into a dominator formula, with 31%. The average for top 12 wide running backs in the NFL, 21%. So he's 10% over the average for top 12 running backs, and we expect him to get draft capital 
that's just higher than DeAndre Swift. I believe that Swift is maybe a better all-round prospect based on the smart people that do other types of evaluation that tell me that. But if I'm going to be honest, my database, and when I look at the numbers, Cam Akers is higher in everything but yards per team touch or yards per team's attempt. Now, that's a really important stat, but so's points per game, and so's total dominator, and so's the receiving game that he had, again, uh, he had a significant percentage of his yards were coming from the receiving game. So I have to move Cam Akers into the number two slot, um, and obviously I'm leaning running back early in this draft, and where this is more a, uh, what did I call it, a strategy guide, that's what I'm deciding here. The top tier of running backs are going to be first off the board. I don't think it's running back class, but I don't think the ceiling at wide receiver here is going to be expensive enough for a start to really justify reaching for wide receivers over the top tier. And for me, there's a very firm top three tier. And it starts with Jonathan Taylor. And for right now, at least, Cam Akers is at 102. At 103, the final part of that top running back tier um, finally falls into place, and that's DeAndre Swift. Everything I just said about Cam Akers applies to your DeAndre Swift, just slightly less so. He had 14 points per game, which is slightly below average for top 12 wide receivers. He had a 23% best total dominator year, and I know he missed some time, but he was also more efficient, which is what you would expect on fewer touches. He had 499 total touches, Cam Akers had 655, so I'd expect him to be slightly more efficient in a smaller sample if he's a good player, um, and that's what DeAndre Swift did. He was highly efficient, four yards per team attempt um, in his best year, 3.7 in his last year. 81% of his yards came from the rushing game, which means he had a, a significantly high percentage of his yards came from the receiving yards came from the receiving game which speaks to that high usage role in a really valuable area if you're playing in a ppr league which i think is most of us deandre swift um is just definitely in that top tier again i don't really separate him out from cam Akers. it's just again i said it um if gonna be honest about the way his profile looks from production score to efficiency uh, well production score to total domination um Cam Akers wins just slightly, but I really don't separate them out much. This, these three are the top of the class, and they have to go one, two, and three for me. Um, and you can change the order up if you just prefer someone else, and I wouldn't argue too hard. I like all of them. I might put up a little bit of a fight about Jonathan Taylor, but like I say, we might see some change in that if the draft capital goes the way it sounds right now. All right. 104. This is where I start to merge the end of the running back tier 1 with the start of the wide receiver tier 1. And there is a fourth running back I consider in the first tier in this class, but like I say, where I don't think it's over, I don't think the height of this class is something that I don't want to miss on the best wide receiver in this class for just a top tier running back in this class outside of an amazing landing spot. And C.D. Lamb fits in at 1.04 for me pre-draft. It's a really good profile. To be very clear, there are several prospects in the last few years I would have had ranked over C.D. Lamb, including G D.J. Moore. Um, but in this class, C.D. Lamb is clear one for me. Um, just to point out a few things, again, not to go over everything. My wide receiver model takes in... 
Uh, a few different stats, a little less than running back. Uh, I use about five different stats, including uh, receiving yards per team pass attempt, average dominator, dominator over average, and production score. I find a lot of value in looking their average production over their best or the last, which I know a lot of people favor, but I, I like looking at their career as a whole. CeeDee Lamb misses no notes. There's really nothing not to like here. His efficiency score, which is something I calculate based on their yards per team pass attempt, since it includes volume and efficiency on those touches, is actually 1.7 yards above team average. That's his efficiency score. The average for players with a top 24 season is 1.65, so he's above that. And his average yards per team pass attempt is 2.53, which is 0.5 above the average for players with top 24 seasons to their belt already in the NFL, based on my history since 2003. His average dominator was slightly below Expected, and that speaks to some of the muted ceiling in this class. Um, his comps, if I were to make comps, are much more to exciting, but top 15 wide receiver rather than top 12. I do think top 12 is in his range of outcomes where production struggles to rank effectively when once we get into the NFL level. But in terms of his likelihood of success and floor, uh, CeeDee Lamb looks absolutely fantastic. Um, 105. This is where, again, I finish off that top tier of running back class. I, I'm going to put wide receiver ones in the mix in those top five picks. Um, but I really want to knock out the, the, the top tier of running backs, depending on what that will be after the draft. But pre-draft, there's one more that I want to talk about in the top tier. Uh, and that's uh, Dobbins. Uh, J.K. Dobbins. He's got a really good profile. Again, he was much more efficient um, than Cam Akers and DeAndre Swift on a per-touch basis. Interestingly enough, he had a 5.6 yards per team uh, attempt um, in his best year and in his last year. Again, they often converge. Um, he did have 20 points per game on average for his, NF, uh, for his college career. I keep doing that. Um, so again, he's one of those rare birds that actually hits that mark in points per game. Now, where I don't have that built into the model yet, I don't know how much it should affect our understanding of what he can be. But I think it's highly significant that he was very productive in college. He did have over 789 attempts, which is less than Jonathan Taylor, um, slightly more than Swift and Cam Akers. Uh, the model did find some value in projecting a negative correlation to touches, but it was a very, very small amount. Uh, I think people are overblowing Jonathan Taylor's 945 touches, and is a, like I don't think we should weight that too heavily. It's a very small adjustment, but it's one of the reasons Dobbins falls. So why is he at the bottom of the tier for me? Uh, he's got an 87% um, rushing yards total, which is slightly more than Cam Akers, slightly more than Swift. For fairly product, for equally productive players, even though Dobbins was a little more efficient, I prefer Swift and Akers' role. And where all the other evaluations are coming in, that there's really... the. the the, the talent differential is not that wide. Cam Akers and Swift look like dynamic players. That's not what's going on. I'm willing to believe that's something to do with their situation. So Dobbins just falls to the, the end of the top tier of running backs, pre-draft me, and letting a wide receiver scoot above him just because I don't want to miss on the wide receiver one um, in any class that doesn't have a clear generational talent at the top at least. Um, 
And that's where I'm on J.K. Dobbins. There's nothing wrong with his profile. In fact, he peaks above some of those other players, Cam Akers and Swift, in terms of efficiency on a per touch basis. I just prefer the overall profiles and, and roles that Swift and Akers were playing in the NFL, just slightly. But Dobbins easily fits into this first tier as well. All right. I didn't quite understand how much talking it would be to talk through 20 different prospects, but I'm persevering. All right. Uh, 106, this is this is probably, I guess, my most controversial, but I think everyone will see it coming if they listen to anything I've put out or read or written. Um, Jalen Rago comes in as my 1.6 pick, where I'm merging the top of my wide receiver one tier and with the end of my running back one tier. And... Um, I love Jalen Rago's profile. I really can't say it enough. Again, where I look at the average instead of the best or the last, which is the last season is really where Jalen Rago struggles. Um, but his average production or his best production for that matter before that terrible last year, before he, like literally last year in college, was absolutely phenomenal. He is one of two players in this draft class to break out above a 20% dominator rating at the age of 18. And you know what I think of breakout age. Again, I, like I, I'm really big on breakout age. It's not in the model because it's not a linear progression that way. And so breakout age, come, I, I've never found a way to effectively use it in um, a pre or post draft model but I notice it and I definitely push players up when they have an age 18 breakout age and Jalen Rago looks uh, he looks like a profile that would easily fit in a future top 12 dynasty asset um, category if he hits now there are significant problems um, and that's why he might, he's probably going to fall in the NFL draft further than I would like in terms of efficiency his efficiency score is slightly below average for top 24 players, which is not great. Um, his dominator rating is above, um, his dominator above average is also above, and his yards per team pass attempt is slightly below. I think most of that uh, is to do with that terrible last season. And, and he didn't play, he wasn't as much of a bad offense as I would expect in his last season. But he's a dynamic athlete, he was used all over the field, and all of his other ancillary stats, including his production score and his breakout age, look amazing. I just think he has real upside in this class where I don't see... I see more floor than upside. Jalen Rager, to me, is someone that has um, potential ceiling and that most players in this class don't. Speaking of ceiling and floor, uh, 1.07 is a pure floor play. I do think the significant upside this type of player in the NFL, as we've seen over consecutive years now, this type of player fits into the top 12 every now and again, but less of a ceiling as a rule. Justin Jefferson is my 1.07. Um, I don't know I can add much to the conversation. Again, there's just uh, no flaws here. Yards per team pass attempt, top 24 wide receivers average 2.06. Justin Jefferson was 2.5. That's really good. Anything over 2 is significantly good. In terms of efficiency, he has actually one of the highest efficiency scores in t that I, I use receiving yards per team pass attempt to calculate it. It's above the team average. Um, at 1.6... 9-6, sorry. That, that's incredibly impressive. Very few prospects, especially at LSU in the SEC, reach that mark. Um, and in fact, since Justin Jefferson was playing in the SEC, and I think I've mentioned this before on a few podcasts, um, but the wide receivers in the SEC 
um, actually tend to average slightly less market share and Jefferson, Justin Jefferson was not struggling with that at all. I know he had a largely slot driven role with shorter targets but again we've seen prospects again and again succeed at the NFL especially recently and Justin Jefferson is elite at an aspect of the game that the NFL is particularly valuing right now. I do think that's a trend that might go away but good players don't go away and I think Justin Jefferson is a very good player. Um, and I'm not missing out on him. I, I do have a slight A.J. Brown feeling to Justin Jefferson, where he's at that place in rankings and in value, where I'm going to want to reach on Jalen Rago, and I'm going to want to trade down or grab a running back below that. But don't make that mistake. <laughs> if you like having A.J. Brown on your roster, don't, don't let players fall into that value crack. Justin Jefferson, for me, is in that crack between the value, where you want a running back or you want to reach high on a wide receiver. Just don't fall for it. Um, take Justin Jefferson if you have the chance and it's reasonable and it's the right ADP and the draft goes well and everything else. 1.08 is Jerry Judy, who is someone who should probably rightly be above Rager and Jefferson, but this is my draft board. So I'm going to do it the way I want. And everything looks right about Jerry Judy, giving him a little leeway for playing in that Alabama offense. Um, but I don't like adjustment season. I'm not adjusting for the sake of adjusting. I will note it, but I'm not adjusting his overall numbers. And look, Dominator rating, the average top 24 wide receiver has a 29% average Dominator. He has 18 it's not terrible when you consider that he was playing in such a high um, competition crunch for opportunity, but even his efficiency on those touches is significantly below average. The top 24 wide receivers average 1.65. Efficiency score, he has 1.3. Again, I'm making allowances for his situation. To go to his receiving yards per team pass attempt, remember I said over two is really good. Jerry Judy fits that. And he comes up fourth in my model overall. So it's not just me, you know, eyeballing these stats even without adjusting he still comes up as the fourth highest player in this class and considering that competition level I'm not going to do it for the others because they are way foot too far below average for, to do that but Jerry Judy looks fantastic um, even without making those adjustments and um, I don't need to push him above CD Lamb I don't need to push him about ju above Justin Jefferson just to see that I think draft is going to take care of that for me anyway and there's really no fault in Jerry Judy's profile once you take everything into context. Um, so you can see the way I'm attacking this first round. I've, I've tried to scoop up. I'm going to try and scoop up that top tier of running backs. If that top tier remains the same after the NFL draft, we don't know. But I want that top tier of running backs. And then I'm going to take wide receiver. Now, wide receiver... It's actually very broad at the top. I do have C.D. Lamb, which is why I pushed him above Dobbins. But there is a broad top. Rager, Jefferson, Judy, fine with all of them. Um, I prefer some over others in the way I just described. But that's more wide receivers than I would typically have here. And that's one of the adjustments I'm making for this year over just general dynasty strategy. I'm grabbing a few more um, uh, wide receivers before I turn to the rest of tier two of running backs. Now, in a separate tier two, uh, this uh, player at 1.09, I actually have in a separate tier all by himself. Uh, so everyone else gets pushed to a tier three who would usually be a tier two. It's Clyde Edwards Hilaire. 
my model didn't like him particularly. Um, across the stats I was just talking to you guys about uh, for running back, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire looks bad. He's got 12 points per game. The average, again, was 16 for top 12 running backs. Um, he had 3.3 yards per team touch, which is what I was saying was slightly less efficient than I was comfortable with when I was looking at Cam Akers. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire doesn't have the ancillary points per game or total dominated ring rating really cope with that but like I did with Jonathan Taylor I'm making adjustments for the fact that a running back really doesn't have to prove it over his career you can really look at the best season you can really look at what he most recently did and last season of Clyde Edwards Hilaire's uh, college career was phenomenal coupled with that with the fact that seven only 79 percent of his total yards for his college career came from the rushing game and you've got a very productive player who hopefully scouts are going to be high on that displayed a dynamic ability to rush the ball in his last season which is just as significant as if he'd done it throughout his entire college career because it's running back and in the right landing spot Like, this guy could do wonders for our fantasy teams. And so he's clearly in a second tier. Where this running back, making adjustments for this slightly different kind of class than we've seen, at least relatively recently, um, I'm making it a slightly separate tier. So if you look at my ranks, you'll see... Uh, that I've made a, a separate isolated tier, tier just for Clyde edwards Hilaire. You can really see him as part of the rest of it um, with the players I'm about to name. But I want to separate out Clyde edwards Hilaire somehow, um, mainly because he might not show up, depending on how you like to prospect, and because of those that lack of usage, that lack of, lack of total career, college career domination. Um, but his last season was great, and he's definitely a capable receiver, and I value that. Um, I'm moving on with the rest of round one by merging in the wide receivers in the second tier of wide receiver, or really the third tier of wide receiver. I've got um, C.D. Lamb and Jalen Rager in a tier by themselves, and then I've got that deep second tier that I've already mentioned. Moving on from there, I have Denzel Mims at 110. Uh, really big, really dynamic, really uh, athlete. who's was very productive in two years. Um, I have some concerns uh, for example, in terms of his efficiency, he was right on the average, and that's fine. But his yards per team pass attempt was below the average for top 24 players. So his average yards per team pass attempt, usually, remember, over 2 is good. He had 1.6. His dominator rating, the average is 29%. His was 25 that's a concern, but part of that is because he played for uh, for fewer seasons, I think. His dominator over average, so adjusting his production for age, is actually above the average for top 24 wide receivers by 3%. That's really good. Um, his production score, which does the same thing, but it does it for a different stat, adjusting his production for his, the age at which he was playing, again, proves that he was... Uh, more productive than most players at those ages in college if they go on to be NF- successful in the NFL. And so I really like Denzel Mims, especially at that size, especially at that speed. Um, and he has decent production when you adjust it for age. But because I there are some slight questions here, he just falls into a very clear different tier for me. Um, and that's why he falls here uh, to the one point 
10, and, but I'd be very happy to get him there. Same with my 111, that's T. Higgins. My upside, my comp for him is still like a rich man's Devin Funches. And I know that sounds hateful, but we forget that Devin Funches had a top 24 season, was a really good player in the NFL. T. Higgins has size, not much speed, but was productive in college. Um, my model didn't like him overly, not that, you know, we don't care what this model thinks. It didn't like Jalen Rager, for goodness sake. But, um, to run across a few different stats, he only had 1.28 yards per team task attempt above his team's average. He was fairly inefficient throughout his whole career. He did break out at age 19, but so do most wide receivers. It's good. He fits in a good category. All of his other numbers are slightly below average for top 24 wide receivers, but he's got great size. He's coming from a great offense. He's fine. And with the right landing spot and draft capital, I definitely have no problems with Mim, uh, with Higgins. There's just not a lot there to jump off the page and really make me want him any higher than this. So he falls into that separate tier for me. Um, and I'd want Mims over Higgins significantly because at least that dynamic athleticism exists with Mims Higgins is kind of okay there's nothing wrong with his size and speed he's just okay rounding out my first my first round I guess rounding out my first round at 112 is AJ Dillon Uh, I mean if we Go back a couple years, a couple decades. AJ Dillon was look great. He's got ninety four percent of his receiving of his total yards coming from the rushing game, like Jay Jonathan Taylor. But he never had that last year displaying a dynamic receiving score set. Um, he is the third player who averages twenty points per game over expected. He was a highly productive rusher. He's a rusher. Um, if he gets the right landing spot, uh, he, he he could do great things. But that that's that's his profile. That's his entire profile, and he's very efficient on that type of role. To be fair, he had six point six yards per team attempt, and that's better than some of these receivers I was just mentioning. Again, that just highlights how productive he was as a rusher at Boston College. But he's a rusher, and that's less valuable than it used to be. Um, talking about strategy, I'm I just attack. Basically, my plan is running back from the end of the first round. I'm going to end the first round taking shots on running back, interspersed with some of those wide receiver twos. Um, And then it's 2.01, Eno Benjamin, love his profile. Keyshawn Vaughn, 2.02, Zach Moss, and Anthony McFarlane. I've recently moved Moss above Farlane because, again, just when I was looking over the numbers, I realized I was taking other people's opinions over my own. My model really liked him. I don't know why. I don't know why. I, it, it adores him, but like all the stats I use in that model are low. His production score is 2% below average. His efficiency, you know, as per team attempt, was 4.6, which is right on the average in his best year. His last year, 2.2, and I know he's missing time. I know that's not the full picture, but again, just to point to that one stat, which by itself is 21% predictive um, or describes a variant variance of points per game over the first three years in their NFL career. He he got twelve points per game for his college career. Like 
he and he's coming from a lower conference, so we're going to have to see something special in the draft. I've moved him down below these other guys, despite what my model thinks. My model's stupid. Don't listen to it. And um, just to speak to some of these other prof- prospect profiles I ran through, I love Eno Benjamin. That's why I've moved him ahead of some of the others. It's that simple. Um, Eno Benjamin um, had 82% of his yards were from the rushing game, which is leaving a healthy 18% coming from the receiving game. He had 16 points per game. Over the course of his college career, again, the average for top 12 running backs, 16. And Eno Benjamin isn't going to cost you anything like um, those other prospects who are in that tier in terms of points per game. And neither Zach Moss, who had 17 points per game. Keyshawn Vaughn had 14, slightly lower. Um, but he had a better all-round skill set. And he's coming from a... Vanderbilt's a higher profile college offense than Arizona State, right? Or am I getting that wrong? I don't know. I know people don't like Benjamin's size, but whenever some people stop devaluing someone because of their size, I kind of want to hedge that because I really do think this is about talent at their size rather than talent, rather than the size leading to talent. Um, and that's where I'm at. I move Zach Moss up, not actually not because of the general buzz of how good he is, but because when I was honestly looking at the stats, if I'm going to say what I see, I see a player that had 5.8 yards per team attempt, which is better than everyone except J.K. Dobbins, A.J. Dillon, and Jonathan Taylor. It's it's better. He was highly efficient on a per-touch basis. He had a 15% of his yards were coming from the receiving game. Zach Goss, Moss looks really good. And again, that 17 points per game kind of shows it up. So I've got a really firm tier of uh, what, what, we, what we call this, my actual running back two tier and with Clyde Edwards-Alaire falling in the middle of tier one and tier two all by himself I kind of like all of these guys I like Anthony McFarlane the least I'd be really happy to get in the second round Eno Benjamin Keyshawn Vaughn or Zach Moss in any order you like kind of love him I think Benjamin's actually going to be a lot cheaper than this so I'm uh, that's probably why he madooed um from this tier but where I'm sketching out my strategy it's it's running backs to the mid second round here for me if they fall here once we get to the middle of the tier that's when i get to my wide receiver two tier my full-on wide receiver two tier well i guess it's my wide receiver three tier you've got cd lamb and jalen ragor then you've got the other guys that are absolutely fantastic that people will probably have above ragor but i don't and like uh jefferson judy mims and then T. Higgins just kind of as a tag-along. The next few guys have honest draft concerns, um, and that's why they fall below those other guys in the higher tier. But everything about their prospect profile I honestly really like. Well, not everything. Um, at 2.05, I have Tyler Johnson. Yeah, I moved him up. I know, I had him down. I was being all reasonable and stuff. I'm done with that because it makes no sense. The NFL can... Jump off a short bridge. I don't. I don't care. They are wrong, as far as I can tell. His college dominator, as basic as we can get for advanced statistics, average for top twenty-four players is thirty-seven percent. His is forty-nine point seven. This is DJ Moore level production. He was two point six yards per team pass attempt. The average for top twenty-four players is two. CeeDee Lamb had 2.53. Tyler Johnson was getting a 2.6 per team pass attempt. He was providing more to his team over his college career than pretty much everyone else in this class, except for one other player that I that I hope to get to before we get out of here. And again, his average dominator. So averaging over his entire career with 39%. The average of top 24 players is 29%. Yes, 
I feel a slight Corey Davis vibe, but Tyler Johnson wasn't playing in a no-nothing conference. He was playing in the Big Ten. Tyler Johnson's moving up. He's a mid-second round pick to me, and I think it's crazy that I can get him at that value. KJ Hamler, same thing. The only thing reason I think KJ Hamler is going to be this cheap or I'm allowed to let him fall this cheap is because no one's talking about him. So please keep that up. Um, efficiency scar, efficiency score. So the uh, yards per team pass attempt that he got above his team's average is 1.8. Again, the average is 1.6. He, he's providing a lot. Now, one thing I will say about KJ Hamler is he's doing it with a lot of downfield plays based on reports on where he was playing on the field. Um, I don't have target data or a dot, so it's really hard for me to confirm that, but I believe it. This is a smaller player with a lot of speed to burn. It makes sense that it would be more efficient, and so that efficiency score should be adjusted down. It shouldn't for Tyler Johnson, who had 2.01, which is megalithic in the Big Ten or anywhere else, but back to KJ Hamler. Um... So yeah, he should be slightly more efficient. It makes sense that C.D. Lamb is a lot better player, having similar efficiency with a broader role. But K.J. Hamill looks great. Um, comps would include John Brown, however. I see a top 24 player based on his size, but you can definitely see uh, a K.J. Hamill being productive in the NFL. There are multiple examples of players his size who are this productive and this good um, being productive in the NFL. So a lot depends on the draft, but... I, Obviously, I really like KJ Hamler. I've got to shut up about it. I do. I, I see it. I see it, man. It, it's going to happen. Maybe. Anyway, second round pick. And that's 2.06. 2.07 is Brian Edwards. He's who I dropped down to get those two bumped up. I really like Brian Edwards. He's the only other player in this draft class to have an age 18 breakout age with a 20% dominator rating. No one has an age 18 breakout age in this class with a 30%, so I'm just mentioning the 20%. But... His ancillary numbers, which is why my model pushed him down to like wide receiver 14 or so, they are a little concerning. Efficiency, 1.3 yards per team pass attempt above team average. Again, the average is 1.6. His yards per team pass attempt was 1.78. The average is 2.06 for top 24 wide receiver. His dominant A rating was fine. His age-adjusted stats are fine. Again, he broke out at the age 18, but some of his more important numbers like yards per team pass attempt look slightly less than I'd really be comfortable with. Anyway, they look slightly less than the players at the wide receiver position that I've mentioned before. He's still in this tier. I like him as much as Hamler, Tyler Johnson, and really Higgins. I really think I might move Higgins down to this tier, by the way. But yeah, I just like him a little bit less. Now, the draft's going to sort this out. It, Okay, you hate Tyler Johnson. Okay, KJ Hamler's too small, NFL. But you gotta like Brian Edwards, right? You gotta. You gotta give me something. Um, so hopefully the NFL draft is able to boost those slightly concerning other numbers. And only concerning compared to Hamler, compared to Johnson, compared to Higgins and Mims and Jefferson. And that's a really good place to start being concerning, right? This isn't concerning compared to, you know, Calvin Benjamin or something. Um, moving on. 2.08, I just take the quarterbacks. This is around about the range I start thinking where the security of the value and the upside, especially that we've seen recently from, well, hopefully Kyler Murray, but definitely from um, Lamar Jackson, definitely from uh, Patrick Mahomes. If we get that level of upside from this class, 
you want to start want to you you want to start taking some of those quarterbacks. And there's a lot of safety in that value. Uh, quarterbacks are the most likely to maintain or increase in value into year two. Now, in a one quarterback league, that's not a lot of value, but a little bit of safety in value isn't bad towards the end of the second round. After that, I've got some interesting flyers. Antonio Gibson has been talked about ad nauseum, as far as I can tell. Really dynamic athlete we don't know much about. He didn't play a full wide receiver or a full running back role, but the fact that he was fairly productive at both is really impressive, and he's a very dynamic athlete. you got to love that, if he goes running back especially. Um, 211, this is a guy with the highest efficiency score in the class in terms of efficiency score or yards per team pass attempt. I love him. He's a small school player, so you know he's kind of my jam. And he broke out age 20 at both thresholds, 20 and 30%. But he only really started playing in the CFB, in the Independence Conference, at age 20. The team elevated, and much like the story of uh, Michael Gallup, much like the story of Kenny Golladay. This is a player who dominated again once he moved up to a higher competition level. Um, but in this case, the whole team moved up to a higher competition level, and he was still dominant on his team's offense. He got a 2.3 yards above his team's average pass attempt. Like, that's... Yeah, but especially when you're looking at above average, it's very rare you get that kind of yards per team pass attempt above team average. I haven't seen it very often, um, uh, even though over a recent count, I'm talking about the history. He is from the Independence Conference. He is from Liberty. I get it. But this guy was hugely productive in that conference if a good player fell to the independence conference he would have antonio golden gandy's numbers he's a very decent size he's really productive he's really efficient he did play two years at least the independent conference it's not like i'm telling you to just draft justin watson or nothing um I really like him. Again, 39% dominated rating, age 20 breakout age, which is fine, especially when you consider he didn't play, or I don't I don't rank his stats before the age of 20. Um, looks really good. Uh, and that rounds out round two. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. One more. 2.12, My the last pick in the second round. Uh, yeah, Henry Ruggs. <laughs> that's, that's where I've got him. Clearly, he's going to move up. Clearly, the NFL is going to push him up into the first round and we're going to have to value that really efficient player very fast seems like an honest to good good football player at the college level all of his stats look like a player that is not likely to elevate that into the nfl i've talked about him a lot before i think i have an entire podcast on him i've written an entire article about him I think I've said enough about Henry Ruggs. He's a very good player. The NFL is going to value his skill set. He's going to provide value to fantasy teams. He shouldn't be taken this late. But this is pre-draft. And I get to say I haven't seen that happen yet. And so for right now, all these players interest me more. That's what I see in the stats that I think are valuable and how I think the stats are valuable. The NFL is about to prove me wrong, and I'm good with that. It's done it a, a number of times, and I think that's just fine. So, that rounds out my first two rounds and uh, pre-draft ranks. If you want to see rounds three and four, well, they're up there on the screen. Um, but also, you can follow the link to my pre-draft rookie board and ranks and roast me on those two. Again, hit me up on Twitter at PA Howdy or, you know, anywhere. Anywhere there's football content, you'll probably find at least a little bit of me trying to get your attention. Um, really appreciate it, guys. I'm getting out of here. I'm very tired. The first time I did this, it was only 20 minutes long. I thought this was going to be shorter. Instead, it was a lot, lot longer. 
I apologize. <laughs> Thanks very much, and I'll talk to you again next time. Bye. Yeah! Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and Nate on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight. Back and forth, there is no order, they disorder more and more. Because the players ain't no older, they some hoarders or some mortars. Dropping bombs without no borders, they got that eye like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.